0: former governor bill haslam declines to enter the u.s senate race and a very 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 early endorsement from president donald trump welcome to grand divisions this is the week of july 15th i'm joel ebert
1: and I'm Natalie Allison. A
0: lot happened last week. We're here to recap it all and provide a little analysis. Uh the biggest news probably came on Friday uh after President Donald Trump essentially alluded to the fact that uh US Ambassador to Japan Bill Hagerty is going to be getting in the US Senate race. Uh, that came out of seemingly nowhere um for for people that may not have been watching closely. But essentially what played out was on uh, what was it on on Thursday? Um, former Governor Thursday Haslam,
1: Haslam announced, yeah,
0: announced that he not would not it. be running for the office. And then the very next day you had the president tweet out. so let's let's go back a little bit, though. the The decision from the former governor was a long, Uh, played out one.
1: Months and months and months and months. Everyone has been waiting. What is Haslam going to do? Some were sure he was going to do it. Others claimed they said all along he wouldn't, but we finally have our answer.
0: Yeah, and he went through a lot of motions. I mean, it it sounded like he... Uh, you know, at one point had a plan from uh, Ward Baker to, uh, you know, have a campaign. It looked like it was drawn up uh, uh, with dates scheduled and everything. Uh, I I think there may have even been a logo drawn up. Uh, But the the governor ultimately decided that he would not seek uh, the office. Natalie, uh, give us a a little bit of summation what he said in the actual letter that he penned uh, for the USA Today Network and all of Tennesseans.
1: So Governor Haslam, he ran this letter uh, with, with our publication, with our network, essentially saying that it, it had been an honor to serve as the mayor of Knoxville, of as the governor of Tennessee, um, also for eight years, that this was the toughest decision he had ever made in his political career, and that he had wrestled, that's what he said, he had wrestled with the possibility of running for Senate for months since he left the, the governor's office in January. He said that public service had been, you know, the highest calling in his life life. Um, And he had seen it as a calling, but that at this point, this is not what he's going to do. He's going to move along with his life in another way, um, not actually running for U.S. Senate in 2020.
0: And of course, if the governor were to get in the race, it would have been Um, I would say, uh, you know, a a difficult road for him. Although, you know, he he is uh, one of the most popular politicians in Tennessee, left very popular. But there are controversial things that are tied to him in a Republican primary, where you've got somebody like Manny Sethi, who's already in the race, who is running as a, quote, conservative outsider, who would exploit some of these issues with the governor, whether that's uh, the gas tax increase, whether that's the governor's statement of saying, I did not vote for... Donald Trump yes. in 2016, repeated criticism of Donald Trump uh, when when the governor was in office. I think a lot of that would play out in a primary election, and I'm not saying that that clouded the reason that he doesn't get in the race, but it certainly is a factor. Yeah,
1: on one hand, you had these people who said, you know, this this is this is his if he wants it. He you know he's the most popular politician in the state, and then on the other hand, all of those things that you listed. This is a state that just put Marsha Blackburn and and U.S. Senate, who is is a little bit per, a different right. type of yeah. Republican than yeah. Bill Haslam, who Bill Haslam himself wouldn't say that he voted for for Senate, um, and and that's that's true. All of these things would come up if he were in a primary with Manny Sethi or potentially Mark Reed.
0: Yeah, who actually? So after what, maybe a couple hours after. Uh, the Very governor announces his decision with our, our newspaper. We put in calls and, and requests a comment to um, Mark Green's office. We're told uh, announcement forthcoming or some kind of news forthcoming. Uh, and then lo and behold, Green says he's out. Um, some people were surprised by that, uh, especially given his conservative credentials. He's somebody that is uh, younger. He's kind of a rising star. He's always been seemingly somebody that has his eye on the next prize. Um, this seemed like a golden opportunity for him. Uh, yeah we, he
1: was he was trying to I guess move up the the ladder pretty quickly he Mark Green of course is is a sitting U.S congressman he's a freshman he just entered Congress in January before that he was a state senator so you know not even or just barely six months into um, his time in Congress he was he was also looking to get in the U.S Senate race of course he decided against that it was interesting to see how quickly Marsha Blackburn Ward Baker did on Twitter as soon as he announced solidify the fact that Mark Green is not running for Senate.
0: Yeah, it was definitely an interesting and quick uh, change. And then immediately after that, uh, it was quickly a scramble to find out who else is interested. We asked everybody from uh, Secretary of State Trey Hargett to former state senator and former gubernatorial candidate May Beavers, who uh, I hadn't talked to in a while. So I was much delighted to make that phone
1: call. Well, May Beavers had said she was never talking to the Tennessean again. After. She did
0: talk to me. And no, not did. only did she talk to me, she called me back after I didn't oh, reach her on the first her. time. Oh, good for
1: i talked to her she wasn't <laughs> going to speak to us again
0: well i i appreciate the uh the open channels with uh, uh with senator beavers uh we also uh heard from uh y- you had a a good get uh jamie woodson for former state lawmaker who said she has been eyeing the seat as well as david Kostoff. what's uh woodson's uh thinking right now
1: well woodson was in rural wisconsin when i was able to get a hold of her by text she wasn't able to have um Cell service to make a phone call, but we did text back and forth, and she confirmed that yes, she she is interested in uh, running for senate. That was uh, something that she said the night before uh, Trump made the announcement of sorts for Haggerty the following day. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Trump's announcement of, you know, his endorsement of Bill Haggerty for U.S. Senate will do or not do to affect uh, how Jamie Woodson moves forward in potentially officially getting in the race.
0: And so uh, with Haggerty not necessarily in the race per se, uh, essentially what happened was a telegraph move from the president that uh, Haggerty will get in the race. Haggerty has not responded to uh, any comments, and that's largely because it would be a violation of the Hatch Act, which essentially stops political employee or uh, uh, governmental employees from wading into politics um, so Haggerty will have to resign if he wants to run uh, for the U.S. Senate. But here's what what, what President Trump tweeted uh, on Friday afternoon: "Quote Tennessee loving Bill Haggerty, who was my Tennessee victoy. Uh, that's um, the president's uh, misspelling. Chair and is now the very outstanding ambassador to Japan. Will be running for the U.S. Senate. He is strong on crime, borders, and our Second A Amendment." Loves our military and our vets, has my complete and total endorsement that's a bold move for the president to really get uh, his endorsement to uh, a candidate well before he's even in the race. And, and you know, I wonder if this is an, an attempt to really kind of freeze the field a little bit more. You've got Manny Sethi and a couple of other Republicans eyeing it, but with the the president's endorsement, I gotta believe other candidates are thinking twice. Yeah,
1: you gotta be bold it. right now to, yeah. to try to step up and put your hat in the ring after that. Who, who can top that?
0: And, and Sethi uh, reacted to it by basically saying on Twitter, uh, "Well, I love the president, uh, Tennesseans are going to have a choice, a conservative outsider like myself, i.e., Uh, You know, the same speech that Bill Lee used uh, much throughout the 2018 gubernatorial race and, you know, sort of the establishment is uh, the idea of being Haggerty is a little bit more part of that, according to Sethi. Uh, So it's going to be an interesting dynamic if if both men are in the race. If there are other people in the race, it will be even more uh, intriguing. But for now, it appears uh, the field is somewhat set uh, once Haggerty officially gets in. According to the Washington Post on Monday, Tennessee, quote, just showed that white supremacy is alive and well. Well, Natalie, you've certainly caused a somewhat of a storm with your recent reporting. Uh, I wouldn't say it's your fault, but it's certainly. Uh, Oops. <laughs> You certainly uh, pulled back uh, a little bit of a conversation that's been going on in Tennessee for a while, but the national media and national uh, uh, lawmakers are starting to weigh in specifically about Nathan Bedford Forest Day. So tell uh, listeners, if they haven't seen it, what you reported.
1: So this Saturday, July 13th, was Nathan Bedford Forest Day. That is a day that for a very long time, nearly 100 years uh, in Tennessee, we have We have celebrated. Uh, It was actually a legal holiday at one point. It is now a a special day of observation. But there is a a statute that requires the governor, or at least instructs the governor. There's there's really no consequences spelled out in the statute. But it, it instructs the governor to declare... Nathan Bedford Forest Day, a day of special observation in the state on his birthday each year. Uh, For the record, uh, we did a similar story to this uh, back in 2015, where uh, reporter Dave Boucher had asked then-Governor Bill Haslam whether he was going to sign the proclamation. Uh, This was just a few weeks after the fatal shooting at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, uh, which, you know, started a whole conversation about the role of these Confederate symbols and flags um, in, in government and in our society. Um, and really
0: race around the country. And really race. Yeah, I mean, you had the president at that point, Barack sure. Obama, really talking. He had a, a, an amazing speech on race uh, yeah. after that shooting. And
1: And Governor Haslam, you know, the, Dave posed that question to him after he had said he, he was calling for the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was a Confederate general. He was an early Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard. He was from Tennessee. Um, He he has a bust on display in the state capitol. So Dave posed that question to Haslam after Haslam had said the bust should be removed. That was a position Haslam continued to hold throughout his time as governor, was not supported by the legislature or the majority of the state capitol commission, which can make those decisions, um, was not supported in his preference to have the bust removed, taken to the state museum. So because this was Bill Lee's First time being presented with this proclamation to sign, I thought I would ask him what he was going to do about it. Uh, Bill Lee has said he does not su- support at this point the removal of the force bus from the Capitol. At first, he didn't say uh, that he thought there should be context added. S- uh, several weeks later, this was back in February, he said he he was uh, considering. Having context added to the bust, he never did anything to to get that the ball rolling on that this year. Um, but I was curious what he was going to say, and I asked him uh, this week, and he said, "Yes, you know, I'm I'm signing the the proclamation as the law instructs me to." And I asked him if he thought, you know, should should the law be changed so that you no longer and other governors after you no longer have to do this, and he said uh, he he had not. Considered changing the law, and and that wasn't something that he was interested in at this point.
0: Now, normally these stories, you know, we you've written a lot of them. Uh, we've seen a lot over the years about either the bust or others, uh, you know, they, they cause a reaction here in Tennessee, uh, by local activists, by Democrats, by, you know, um, other folks, there's, there's maybe some columns, but this one had a very different reaction. You had at one point, um, uh, U.S. Senator from Texas, Republican, uh, Ted Cruz, former presidential candidate tweeting out essentially that this is wrong, that he disagreed with this idea of continuing to honor Nathan Bedford. Yeah. Woke
1: Ted Cruz, uh, calling out bill lee
0: you had rare moments uh that were noted by uh you know state senator ramesh akbari where she is saying i i you know this is rare but i side with ted cruz right now uh and you also had um this washington post column that came out on monday essentially saying that this is sort of a vestige of the old south of um uh the days of the confederacy Um, You know, with this reaction, I wonder if anything will change. You see now some Republican state lawmakers floating the idea of changing the state law um, or at least trying to get rid of this observation now on Twitter. At least they're saying that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it would. It would be something if if suddenly the, the sentiment of the General Assembly on this changed. I, it didn't seem like uh, the General Assembly a few years ago when this was first brought up was particularly interested in doing anything about it. Of course, there has been quite a bit of turnover, but it's still, you know, completely Republican supermajority and, and it's – Maybe the freshmen who have filled those seats have a different opinion on things like this. But uh, I would be surprised if if suddenly uh, they were all motivated to do it. But something like Ted Cruz weighing in on this and and in all caps saying, you know, this is wrong of Tennessee uh, to be doing, to be honoring this man who, who was a slave trader and who was, you know, one of the first leaders of the KKK. Um, yeah you know i think republicans would read that and and at least make something of it
0: on the other side there is always the defense that you hear out of people that want to Um, uh, essentially say, well, you know, if we get rid of this, it's whitewashing history. It is essentially not recognizing, uh, A, what went on in Tennessee and in other states around the country, but also B, uh, ignoring the, I guess uh, they say the repentance, the, uh, you know, the change that Nathan Bedford Forrest went through uh, in the later part of his life, Um, you know, what what are what are some of the other yeah, views that, well, that that defenders of the statute? Yeah, say? typically
1: uh, defenders of the statute have a couple different arguments. The first of which is well, Nathan Bedford Forrest was a Democrat, and Democrats in Tennessee put his bust in um, in the legislature and made this day of of special observation or holiday. Um, Made it a requirement, so they they like to use that argument. Of course, the Democrats uh, of 100 years ago, and even you know, uh,
0: the one 30, of, 50 years ago, yeah, of 1970, are, Doug Henry was a very yes, different Democrat than the modern Democrats
1: are not are not the the Democrats of the Tennessee Democratic Party today. Um, but that is a, an argument that you you hear a lot that that Democrats are quote the real racist is what they would say. Another um, Argument you hear is that Nathan Bedford Forrest changed his views later in life and, um, you know, renounced some of the beliefs he had. And that is an argument some people make. Um, Others would still ask well, regardless of what he did or didn't do, um, is it worth still? putting someone with this legacy of, um, leading the, the massacre at Fort pillow in which historians would say a few hundred surrendered union troops, most all of which were, were black troops. Um, were killed after they had surrendered in West Tennessee. It begs the question of is this is this man worth putting in a place of honor and and that is the back and forth that has been going on in the state for years now.
0: And of course, the uh, ultimate issue that some people bring up is the fact that uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest wasn't a men- member of the legislature or had anything to do with state government. So why is he uh, being honored, uh, you know, in arguably the most uh, prolific and, and important state government building that we have right in front of a place where the public lawmakers, et cetera, uh, convene each year and every day, um, as opposed to, let's say, you know, uh, uh, other um, famous governors or other famous uh, players in Tennessee history?
1: I- And at this point, I I don't know how much honor his bus is being shown. It is a source of protest. It, um, you know, it is... Is prompting chants and arrest and all sorts of things at the Capitol. Um, people of color flooding the the rotunda area to to call on uh, government leaders to remove this bust. And so I don't know how much honor Nathan Bedford has been shown in you know at least the last few sessions at the legislature. But um, you know these protesters have vowed to continue doing that until the bust is removed. If any of you remember, you know all of the the Justin Jones controversy this year, uh, which ultimately led to, you know, him accusing the Speaker's office of uh, falsifying some evidence, it all originated with with him and his, his uh, fellow protesters coming to call for the removal of the force bust.
0: Uh, of course, the uh, latest stuff is, is just uh, the newest form of an ongoing discussion, and we will continue uh, to stay on top of it and report it out.
1: Well, this year's August primary isn't quite as big as last year with the gubernatorial race we had, Uh, early voting is underway for that. And here in Nashville, uh, we are going to be electing our next mayor we have with us today on the podcast, Ihan Jiang. She is our metro government reporter. Ihan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, so early voting is underway. It started Friday, July 12th. The election day itself is on August 1st. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about...
2: Who is up for mayor right now and how those campaigns are going? Right. Well, Mayor Briley is currently in election mode again, right? Um, he's seeking re election for his first full term after finishing out former mayor Megan Barry's term. So he is seeking main challengers um, from. Representative John Ray Clemens, at-large council member John Cooper, and retired Vanderbilt professor Carol Swain.
0: Of course, Swain is the only other uh, candidate that has run for uh, mayor before, um, but she was unsuccessful in the past. Um, what's it looking like right now? What's her campaign been like uh, so far?
2: Well, you know, I wasn't covering Metro last year, and so I had just moved to Nashville. I wasn't really paying much close to attention to the politics here. But from what I've heard from people who've been following along for quite some time, her campaign seems to be having a different tone than last year's. I think previously, you know, she was known for kind of making some bold statements as a, a word to use. Some would
0: say bombastic, but <laughs> Bombastic
2: sure. is another word to use. Um, but from what I've heard overall, I think she's toned it down. You can kind of tell from her behavior and, you know, the way she speaks in forums and debates. You know, there are times, though, when she does want to make sure she's showing that she is different than the other three major candidates um, and making clear that she is a conservative, whether it's, you know, nonpartisan or not. She wants people to know that she is Republican. And I think we saw a bit of what many people might say, you know, Carol Swain from last year at one of the forums specifically meant to discuss, you know, black issues in Nashville. And she wanted to say, you know, she came away from, you know, the Democratic Party because of, the, of her religion. And she, you know, called, you know, she started bringing in national issues for the first time where she was talking about, you know, how, why she was against abortions and called it, you know, genocide. and She invoked I, Trump, too, at one point. She did, yeah. And, you know. It didn't go over well with the audience, I hear. Hmm. No. And I think, I think people, you know, have that right temperature check on Nashville on knowing if you are against Trump, you know, you will probably get some votes there. But while the other three candidates, you know, kind of made, you know, their, what's a good word to use, you know, a performance of saying, you know, that they were against Trump, you know, she, she, you know, mentioned her support for him. But when, a you know, when a guest asked her, you know, how does Trump, you know, directly impact Nashville, she wasn't able to, you know, really give a specific answer saying, you know, it impacts president some ways, some ways they don't. And
0: so she sort of positioned herself further to the right. But um, some obviously would see John Ray Clemens, and as we have seen, Natalie and I covering him in the state legislature, as further left. Um, Briley and Cooper are they sort of the the, the, the middle ground, the moderates? They you know business community kind of support. Uh, is that what they represent?
2: I think so. Yeah, I think when people see Cooper and Briley, they probably see you know a part of the establishment that already exists for Nashville, at least.
0: How do they differentiate each other or from each other? I mean, so, so, uh, you know, uh, Briley is criticized by Cooper for certain things. What are some of those criticisms that he uh, levels at, at, uh, at the mayor?
2: You know, I think Cooper's main point of his campaign has been that he wants to cut better deals for Nashville. And I think a lot of people translate that a bit differently. You know, he would probably say that the mayor hasn't been focusing on neighborhoods, or at least he's he's been saying that on his campaign trail, and that a lot of his his Priorities might be with businesses that aren't local or that might benefit a few. And so I think Cooper, you know, is especially going on, you know, the point that he will make better financial decisions being, you know, this money guy and the guy on council who's, you know, always fought or tried to seemingly fight, you know, for clear numbers and transparencies. But I know that, you know, Briley now has taken this route of, you know, going on offense when it comes to Cooper. And he has specifically said Cooper's name when saying that there has been mis- representations of facts or just false information out there coming from his campaign. I think the two of them are really trying to stand apart from each other and stand apart from, you know, some of the problems we see currently in Metro. So, for example, the budget. Mayor Riley's budget, you know, essentially took place just due to default, which is the first ever in Metro history. You know, there were multiple proposals this year. There were, you know, total five, three that called for a property tax increase. And, you know, ultimately, none of those, the closest one which called for a 16% increase, you know, failed by one vote. And so it's not that council voted for the mayor's budget, but, it you know, it took an effect due to default. But a lot of people criticized Cooper, including Brian Lee's campaign, saying, you know, if he were a true leader or, you know, as a per, one of the candidates who can actually put forth his own budget proposal, he chose not to do that. And, you know, I think... Riley's taking that to say, you know, he's blaming Cooper, who was his Metro Council budget chair when he was vice mayor, as saying, you know, that a lot of the financial issues that we have now are due to Cooper's, you know, decisions of setting everything so low. Where, you know, Cooper is heading back saying the budget is squarely on the mayor and that in doing his own proposal, it wouldn't have actually enacted any changes because. Those long-term policy changes need to be coming for the mayor.
1: So, speaking of issues in Nashville, it is the year 2019, and one of the top issues is is scooters. Uh, can you catch us up on what is going on with scooter? Scooters is something. I mean, the the mayor has to have a position on. Like this is this is the issue of our time. So, talk about where where things are now, the mayor's recent announcement, and what the future could be for scooter riders in Nashville.
2: Yeah, I think if you take a week off from following scooter news, you will be surprised where you come back to because can happen. A lot changes and you know John Ray Clemens actually, you know, hit on the mayor during one of the debates saying that this is the the fourth position you've had in four weeks. And I think, you know, that's a bold statement, but I think a lot of the residents are kind of confused on the current happenings of scooters and as it is now, you know, council is, you know, considering allowing scooters to operate as long as there are some immediate changes. Most importantly, that they're cutting their fleets down in half. Right now, there's 4,000 scooters on the streets. And I think maybe some people might have noticed in the past two weeks that there are less scooters. And I don't think they're imagining it. Some companies have pulled their fleets already you know, out of the streets or reduced it. Um, but what's happening here is that, you know, we're going to do an RFP process to select, you know, up to three companies to stay in Nashville. What the mayor had wanted was to do a temporary ban to eliminate scooters until that process is finalized. But council, as they have proven before, you know, are willing to go against his wishes. And they are, you know, looking to allow scooters to stay for a while with some changes. Essentially, they have a month to prove that they can do it. Otherwise, it can face a complete ban. You know, so an RFP process could not happen in the future.
0: You you mentioned uh, John Ray Clement's criticism of of you know the scooter issue, at least how the mayor has handled it. Uh, what have been so, some of the other tenets of John Ray Clement's campaign? Um, he in in the legislature hasn't been somebody who has been sort of at the forefront uh, necessarily of making things happen, but he's been a vocal uh, member of the chamber, often uh, to this may to the dismay of Republicans.
2: Yeah, I think vocal is the right word choice to use for this race as well. I think a lot of people have, you know, pointed to Clemens being, you know, a loud critic of what's happening and, a, you know, a more his stance is that he would be a more bold mayor than Riley. I think a lot of ideas that he has, he has in common with other candidates. He does tend to speak, you know, in, you know, soaring platitudes when it comes to his policies. But, you know, his number one priority, as he says, is, you know, MNPS and Nashville schools. And as he likes to remind voters, you know, his kids are students at the public school. But I think he he thinks the mayor is taking too much of a heavy hand when it comes to the district. Clemens has made... MNPS's biggest priorities. And he's also said he's the only mayoral candidate to say that he would push for a transit referendum in his first term if elected mayor. But, you know, in the past televised debate, he was asked specifically what that would look like. Would that be a specific transit plan? Would that be his specific revenue? And, you know, I think he used that time and as he does for a lot of his speaking time to criticize the mayor instead. What we got from the answer was that he sees Nashville being one of the most regressive when it comes to taxing and that we have limited options. While he says bold statements, that I think a lot of voters would like to hear. It's hard to know the details of his plan. You know, he's saying that it would need regional buy-in, that we would have to, you know, a mayor would have to be committed to taking a big investment into solving an issue that faces the county.
0: As we look to wrap up, our early voting runs through what date again?
2: So early voting started Friday, and it goes till July 27th. And then election day is August 1st.
0: And what's the scenario? What's the percentage that uh, that someone needs to get in order to avoid a runoff?
2: So unless a candidate breaks the 50% threshold, we will be going to runoff, which would be September 12th. And that would be you know between the top two candidates in, in this sense.
0: We will continue to watch uh, the latest developments. So thank you for catching us up.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: For this week's notebook dump, the Tennessean reported last week that Governor Bill Lee has asked Representative David Byrd not to seek re-election. Byrd is a Republican from Waynesboro who's been accused by three women of sexually assaulting them when they were teenagers in the 1980s. Lee hasn't called for Byrd to step down immediately or to resign from his seat, uh, but his office did confirm that the governor had reached out to the lawmaker and told him not to seek re-election.
0: On July 16th, according to Chris Todd, a freshman state lawmaker, the House Republican Caucus freshman will be holding a meeting with the various speaker candidates in the lead up to next week's speaker's election. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate us. Uh, if you have any ideas, thoughts, um, concerns, please tweet us at Grand Divisions 3. Uh, this podcast is produced by Erica Whitney and John Garcia. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert.
1: And I'm Natalie Allison.
0: We'll see you next week.